Amen. Who will rise up and serve? Who will count the cost? Rise up and serve. Who will answer when God says, Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? Who will say, Use me? Send me. I believe it's the one who knows and understands this God who calls. The God who loves and serves. This God who we, we come to the scripture this morning in John 13. We see in a way that we hardly ever see him anywhere else. A glimpse into the very heart and the nature of the God who calls us to be like himself. A God who when he says, who will go for me, who will, who will I send, is the God himself who went. God himself who kneels at our feet in service. John chapter 13, verses 1 to 11. Hear then the word of God. And now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come from God, and that He was going back to God, He rose up from supper. He laid aside His outer garments, and taking a towel, He tied it around His waist. He poured water into a basin, and He began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was around Him. And He came to Simon Peter, who said to Him, Lord, do you wash my feet? answered him and said, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, no, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him and said, if I do not wash your feet, Peter, you will have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, did not only my feet, but also my hands and my head as well. And Jesus said to him, the, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come again to you this morning. And we, like Mary, would sit at your feet and learn of you. Father, would you speak to us? Would you speak into our hearts in a way that only you can? Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see? Would you give us hearts that are soft and responsive and desirous to do your will? Capture us for yourself. Work within us. Change us. Make us like Jesus, we ask in our Savior's name. Amen. John has 21 chapters. It's a fairly long book. Chapters 1 to 12 cover from eternity past to the last week of Jesus' life and ministry. Right? The first 12 chapters that we've just covered were in chapter 13, verse 1. And it starts out, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In eternity past, when all things were created, nothing was made that was not made in and through the Word. And so from eternity past through chapter 12 is the, is the extent of Jesus' life and ministry. And now in chapter 13, 13 to 17, these next five chapters, nearly 25% of the book of John 
cover one night. One night. One amazing, intimate night where Jesus pulls aside. It's his last night on earth. It's the night before the night of his betrayal, the night before he is tried and crucified. So the book of John that obviously started in eternity past and sped through Jesus' life and his entire ministry through chapter 12 slams on its brakes, pulls aside, gathers his disciples in the upper room, and he spends one night with them, eating with them, teaching them, praying over them. The entirety of John 17 is his prayer over his disciples, his last before he leaves them. There is this large block of teaching that goes from this little descriptive section that runs through 13, 14, 15, 16. It's one of the largest blocks of Jesus' teaching. You know, it's up there with the Sermon on the Mount. He uses he, some illustrations, some metaphor, but there are no parables like he uses with the outside world, either in the Sermon on the Mount or in these chapters. He sits them down. He says, here's what you guys need to know. From my heart to yours as I leave this earth, let me tell you, I prepare you for my leaving. He talks of his leaving. He speaks of the coming of the Holy Spirit and his ministry in their lives and the life of the church for the ages to come. He speaks of the spiritual union that will exist because of the coming of, of the Holy Spirit, a spiritual union and communion that will exist between them as, as they abide in Christ by his Spirit. And he speaks of a life of obedience and a life of love. Very much like his own. And so the evening begins, these next five chapters will be in this evening now for who knows how long, right? But he begins this evening by sitting down to dinner with his disciples. And it's very early in the dinner cycle that Jesus gets up from the meal. And literally to the shock and confusion of everyone in the room. Jesus starts taking off his outer garments. He strips down to a towel. He gets a basin and water. And he literally kneels down at their feet and begins to wash their feet. And we're told what he's doing in verse 1 of John 13. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come. His last night is here to depart this world and go to the Father. And it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Right? And that's a description of what's happening right now, even. Now. That he knew it was his last night and it was hour had come. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I believe that's a summary statement of Jesus' entire life and ministry. Having loved his own who were in the world. That is the love that animated everything that Jesus has done. What are you, if you were to ask Jesus at any point in his ministry, Jesus, what are you doing? He would say, I'm loving my own. From beginning to end, it's a summary of, of Jesus' ministry. And, and the statement is very specific and personal, isn't it? It says, having loved his own. Very specific, very personal. The sheep who know his name, his own. Right there, John chapter 10, it's in your bulletin, the second point. John 10, Jesus says, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. That's what he's been doing, calling his own sheep by name and leading them out, loving his own while he's in the world. Or Isaiah 43, as Isaiah speaks of it, is, fear not, I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are 
mine. He calls us his own. He loves us personally. He chose you. He died for you. He redeems you. He calls you by name and he brings you to himself. He loves you. Amen. Galatians 20, Paul takes this to himself as I would encourage each of us this morning to do. This is, I think, a lot of what it means to be a Christian as Paul cries out in Galatians 2.20, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and so gave himself for me. He loved me, <laughs> Paul. Gave himself for me, Paul. He loves me, Robert, insert name. The ministry of Jesus is motivated and animated by his love for his own. He loved them, we're told, to the end. Now, there's several ways to take that and to understand that. He says he loved them to his end. He loved them till the end of his life, till, till the very day or the very moment that he hung on the cross. He, he loved them to his end. Another way you could take it is to say he loved them to the very end, that is, he loves us to our very end. That, he, that the very work that he starts here, in a sense, on the cross, and we see it in some way it is finished. What he finishes is the beginning for us. And he, he is the author and the completer, the finisher of our faith. And the good work that he has begun, he will carry on to completion. And so he has loved his own who are in the world, and he will love them to the end. Well, there's one more way to take it. And it's actually the way I think that, I think both of those are true. So take them as you like them. But I think there's a third way to take it. And I think that this is probably the way I hear it. It's this, the Greek word that he uses here, he loved them to the end, is the word telos. The, word, the Greek word there is very rich, and it, it can mean end, the beginning and the end, the telos. But it is a rich word that can mean fullness, and, and to the fullest, or to the completion, or to perfection. It, it could be said that the telos of an acorn is an oak tree, right? That's the the end of the acorn is the oak tree. That is its completion, its perfection, its fullness. That's the, the intent of it. And I believe, as the NIV translates this little section, instead of saying he loved them to the end, it says he now showed them the full extent of his love. I think that gets at it. He, he now shows them the full extent of his love, the, the fullness, the completion, the perfection of his love for them. He loved them to death. Right here at the end of his life, he's going to reveal what love is willing to do. He's going to say in the course of this little dialogue with his disciples that no greater love has anyone than this. And he should lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus is about to do that. He's going to show them a love above which there is no greater. The full extent of love. Romans 5.8, it tells us, it's there in your bulletin, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't wait for us to deserve it. He doesn't wait for us to clean up our act. He doesn't wait for us to come looking for him. He doesn't wait for us to wake up and, and come to our senses. He actually says, while we're still sinners, while we're still in the far off country, he dies for us to save us. And so Ephesians Three there in your bulletin, Paul again, as he's trying to grasp this, you know, as he as he speaks of he he loved me and he gave himself for me, and he, as he prays for the Ephesians, he says he prays that they would have power, strength to comprehend, to get it, 
right? To comprehend with all the saints how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. He, he prays for the power to get it. The ability not only to understand it, I think, but to submit to it. To let him love us like that. Which we're going to see in this passage is he comes to love Peter like that. Peter struggles with it. And I think we struggle with it regularly to, to, to believe that God loves us the way that he loves us. And he's willing to serve us the way that he's willing to serve us because of his great love for us. But this, this love that we need strength to comprehend, this is the love that brings the church into existence. Right? This is the love that brings you from death into life. Right? This is the love that drives Jesus to his knees, literally. Right? This is the love that will put Christ on the cross. 1 John 4, there in your bulletin, he says, In this, the love of God is manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world. This is the love that brought Jesus into the world and drove him to his knees. Have you tasted this love? That Jesus is talking about, are you his own? By faith have you embraced Christ and indeed made him your own so that you would be his own. That his death is for you. That he would have loved you and gave himself for you. Have you owned it for yourself and given yourself and surrendered to this love? Because the full extent of it really is very shocking when you consider who Jesus is and what's really going on in this text. And John wants us to understand what's going on in this text. You know, we've spread it out over a while, but it doesn't take that long to read from John 1 to John 13. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made through the Word, and the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. And then at supper, He got up, and He took off His robe, and He got down on His hands and His knees, and He washed their feet. Right? It really is very shocking what goes on here. He, verse 3, we're told Jesus, knowing that the Father had given everything into His hands, that He had come from God. And that he was going to God. Right? Jesus had this sense of mission and purpose. Right? The word that was made flesh is on his knees. The one who spoke all things into existence. The one who spun the stars out into space. The one who brought order out of chaos is on his knees. Kneeling before dirty men. I mean, do you see it? The word became flesh and knelt before dirty men and said, let me wash your feet. Let me do for you what you cannot, in a sense, do for yourselves. There are no servants on hand, right? And most of us know as we do as this text, it's so familiar to so many of us. And most of us know the deal that, you know, nobody washes feet, you know, in, in our culture. I don't, you know, I don't like to touch feet at all. So if you want a foot massage, I am not your guy, you know. But in that culture, in that culture, it was the same kind of thing. And, and they, they wore sandals in, in this world. Their feet were always dirty. Their feet were always dirty. It was impossible to keep them clean. In fact, Jesus gives that image, you know, if you take a full bath, you know, you put your sandals on and walk out the door, your feet are dirty, right? They're, all, they're always dirty. And no one washed feet except not even a Jewish slave was forced to wash someone else's feet. Only people that were forced to wash feet in that culture were Gentile slaves. So nobody washes feet. I mean, it's the lowest and the most menial of tasks 
the dirtiest feet, you know, they're not, they're always dirty. At least I wear socks, you know, and then I, I bathe them every day. You know, these feet are dirty. They're scaly, calloused, dirty feet. <laughs> Get the picture, right? There are no servants on hand. None of the disciples volunteered. Nobody wants to do the job. And it really is very shocking when Jesus gets up. You know, they all sat down to eat with dirty feet. And everybody is shocked when Jesus gets up and does what he does. They're looking at him. You can just imagine their mouths open and their eyes are like, you know, what's, what's he doing? What's going on? The image of God doing the work of the lowliest servant should rock our world. It really should. We really don't get the the full impact of this picture of God on his knees. (laughs) It should rock our world. Rearrange some things in our heads as we think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It feels a little blasphemous almost. Even as I say it, even as I teach it, if it wasn't here in the scripture, in the text, I would feel blasphemous saying it, that God washes your feet, that God takes this place, that God does this thing. But it is his self-revelation that God radically serves his own, that, that God says he is willing to wash dirty feet, which is nothing more than a picture of his willingness to wash the dirtiest of souls. And if you think your feet are dirty, just take a moment and reflect. Awkward. Jesus' insistence as he gets down at the first disciple's feet and then the next, I mean, it's awkward. You know, as you let him take your foot in his hand and begin to, to do it, and we see that it's awkward on, on Peter's resistance and Jesus' insistence. And Jesus' insistence points to the fact that this is more than about dirty feet. And Jesus is going to point that out, that you will have no part of me. This isn't just about your dirty feet, dude. You need to, you need to bow the knee and let me serve you for a minute, or you will not get it. You will not understand what it's about. It's Peter's surprise in verse 6, right? He says, you, Lord, do you wash my feet? You know, uh, disciples in those days, and different teachers had disciples, and disciples were, were very much in the position to do things, acts of service for their master, their teacher. So they very much not only sat and learned of them and followed them around, they did what needed to be done. You know, when they made camp at night, they, the disciples, you know, were making camp. It's not, un, you know, it's not uh, unusual for these guys to be serving Jesus. And so this, Jesus is not the one in that position. And he say, he's going to say in a few minutes, you call me rabbi, you call me Lord and teacher, and you're right. Right? And I, your Lord and rabbi, have gotten down on my knees Right, and so Peter doesn't understand here. You're the Lord, you're the rabbi. What are you doing? Really, I'm really uncomfortable (laughs) with this. You know, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Jesus answered and says, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but after your word, you'll understand. Right, this whole idea of me cleansing you is going to make some more sense here in a little while. And you need to learn to let me do it. Because if, if you don't, You have no part of me. 
you must submit to my washing. And Peter's pride gets to the point of refusal. Peter is so funny. You know, you've got to love Peter. And he's not wrong in the awkwardness here. He's right. He's just the only one who says it, right? He's the only one who says it. So you like him for saying it. And in a sense, you like him for refusing it. Like, oh, Lord, let's switch spots, you know? Never. You're not going to do this. And then Jesus says, yeah, but if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And then Peter's instantaneous reversal from never to head to toe, please. You know, don't, don't miss the crook of my ear on your way down. His love for Jesus has revealed the threat that he would have no part with him unless Jesus washed him, drives Peter to his knees to let Jesus wash his feet. And Jesus makes that statement, unless I wash you, unless I wash you. See, the cross is the other place where Jesus is stripped and humbly washes his own. In fact, the cross is the place of the full bath when Jesus tells them, you know, if you've had a full bath, you only need your feet washed. And the, the, the cross is going to be the place of the full, the full bath, the place of spiritual cleansing, where water and blood flowed together to cleanse and to save souls, to wash what no soap, no detergent in the universe will take out. First Peter, Peter says that we were bought as Peter reflects back on this night. And as Jesus said, you don't understand now, but you will understand. And so writing later on, Peter reflecting back says, we are bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb who is without blemish. And so this washing of the feet is this picture of the constant need for cleansing. That, that coming to Christ at his cross and finding a full bath, that we need this constant need to stay close to Jesus, to stay close to the cross. We never graduate from it. We never graduate from, from the dirty feet that touch this world. And Jesus demands that we submit to this spiritual cleansing. And it's here where we need to apply fully that statement. Unless I wash you, you will have no part of me. You'll be excluded from his fellowship because those who are stained with sin can have no part of him. There needs to be the cleansing and he makes it clear. Let me wash you or there is a door. Let me show you the full extent of my love that will make it possible for us to share fellowship unbroken. Let me wash you. The humility of God on his knees the humility of God on his knees is nothing compared to the humility of God on the cross. And this is what, again, Paul tries to capture in that great hymn in the middle of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul, most people think it's a, it's a hymn that is written and inserted, that it, that, it, that it captures the heart of the Christian faith. See here in your bulletin under the third point. Philippians chapter 2, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is, your, is, is yours in Christ Jesus. Now what mind is that, Paul? who though he was in the form of God, though he had come from God and he was going to God and all things had been given in his hand, he was a word who was with God and was God in the beginning, though he's in the form of God, he doesn't count equality with God, something that he has to grasp onto, but rather he is willing to make himself nothing, to put aside his glory, to take the form of a servant, being born not only in the likeness of men, which is condescension and, and, and humility enough, it says, being found in, in a human form, he humbled himself 
to becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The humility of a God who is willing to give himself. And then Paul is saying to the church, as he introduces this hymn, he says to the church, and this is a letter to the church at Philippi, he says, you guys, have this mind in yourselves. Think like this. Have your mind shaped in this form, right? Bend in this direction. Have this mind among yourselves. It was also in Christ. The mind of Christ, the servant heart of God. Right in verses 14 and 15, looking ahead in our text, he says, if I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Have this mind among yourselves. The mind of Christ. Or verse 15, I've given you an example that you also should do as I have done for you. Serve one another. It's no wonder that Mark 10, there in your bulletin, the last under the third point, he says, whoever would be great among you, you guys, you followers, you know they lord it over out there in the world. They love power. They lord it over. And he says, not so with you, my friends. Not so with my own. Right? You guys are going to be different. And whoever among you, my people, who wants to be great, that is great in the kingdom, great in the eyes of God, great. This isn't just like great in this world. This is, this is that greater reward that we talked about last week that, that we live for. You know, he wants to be great in the kingdom in the eyes of God. You who would be great must be, he says, a slave of all. Just like Jesus is. See him on his knees, the slave, the Gentile slave of all. Even the Son of Man, even God Himself did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life. What about you? You have the mind of Christ. Verse 17, He says, If you know these things, bless Blessedness, blessing comes if you do them. It is so hard for us to give ourselves away, to truly commit ourselves to service because there is a cost involved. There is, you know, there's street cred kind of cost involved if you're to do this kind of work, you know, menial labor. You know, what kind of reputation does Jesus get if he goes around washing everybody's feet? There is a cost involved to get your hands dirty. Uh, there's, there's a lot of cost if you're going to serve in the life of the church, if you're going to serve in the life of the kingdom. You know, if you're going to teach or something, you've got to prepare, and then you've got to actually be there, where if you just come, you can come and go as you like, but to lead, to serve, you know, requires some level of commitment. You've got to give up a night and come on a regular basis, maybe do some preparation. Give up a day, give up a night, give up a Saturday morning. What sets Jesus free to do this? Right? What is it that sets Jesus free to be as radically giving as Jesus is? And I believe what sets Jesus free to rise up in verse 4, it says he rose up and took off his outer garments. What sets him free to rise up in verse 4 is what we're told about him in verse, what he knew in verse 3. Right? So look at it again in verse 3. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back 
to God, right? He knew three things. The Father had given all things into his hands. He knew where he came from, and he knew where he was going, right? He had a sense of identity, right? He knew who he was. He knew what he was about. He was a man with a mission. He came from somewhere. He was going somewhere, and in between, all things are given into his hands, and what are they given to you for, Jesus? And he says, they're given to me to love my own, right? What do we do with the power that is given us? What do you do with the power that is given to you? You use it for yourselves or you use it to serve others. And and one of the key things to know about where the heart of a man or a woman lies is how they use their power. He knew who he was. And so he was empowered to radically give, to have a servant's heart. In fact, it it actually gave him a servant's heart. You know the difference between having a servant's heart and just doing an act of service? You know, there are those who will do acts of service. There are those who will throw you a bone. You know, they'll come once in a while when it fits their schedule, when it's convenient, when I've thought it through, when I don't have anything else to do or whatever. You know, there are people who will do acts of service. People do them every day. They do them in the world. Anybody can do an act of service, but it's different (laughs) to have a servant's heart. And can you get a taste of the difference between where Jesus is coming from in his entire life, having loved his own, his entire earthly life, his posture toward the world. I did not come to be served. I came to serve. It's the heart of a servant. It's an identity. It's a mission. It's a purpose. It's a likeness of God in his people. Do you know who you are? Do you know yourself to be one of his own? Are you loved by Christ, chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world, born again by the power of his Holy Spirit, redeemed and cleansed by the the flood of water and blood on the cross to cleanse your soul? Are you adopted as his child? Are you a servant then of Jesus Christ? Paul opens most of his letters saying, Paul, comma, servant, slave of Jesus. Identity. That is who I am. And you can read it through there. He says, I do all things for the sake of God's elect. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. I I become all things to all men that I might save them. He has this identity. Paul, servant of Christ. Robert, servant of Christ. Mary, servant of Christ. Insert name. Like Jesus, all things have been given into your hands. It's there under the last point. 1 Corinthians 3, all things are yours, my friends. The world or life or death, the present, the future, all are yours because you are Christ's and Christ's is God. And as all things were given into Jesus' hands, so all things are given into your hands. You are his very own and all things are yours. Do you know where you came from? Do you know in whom you have believed who is able to do and to accomplish all that he has said. We are the freest people on the face of the earth. We know where we came from. We know where we're going. And he's given all things into our hands. And he says, and therefore, like Christ, we are the freest people on the planet. Galatians 5, it's there. For you were called to freedom, my friends, brothers. Why, Paul? <laughs> Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, that is, to live for yourself. But rather, he says, through love, love, serve one another. Love, serve. 
They are inner. <laughs> they are unbreakably linked. The word escapes me. You know, they're 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 unbreakable bond. Love, serve, right? Through love, serve one another. We are the freest. We're called to freedom. What will we do with it? What will we do with it? Serve one another. Are you free? If you are free, rise up. Ask yourself, ask Jesus, how is he calling you to be like him? How is he calling you to serve? Where is he calling you to your knees? Where is he calling you to have in yourself the mind that was in Christ Jesus? Where is he calling you to embrace the very servant heart of God who came to serve? Luther, in his little treatise on the freedom of a Christian, he says, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all and he is subject to none but his God. And then a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all and he is subject to all. Why? Because we belong to one another as the body of Christ. And we have this mind among us The servant heart of God. Whoever would be first must be the slave of all. In other words, you must be like Jesus. Let us rise up from the table where we have been served and put aside our pride, embrace the humility, and become like Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning as we come to you that your word is true and living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It divides not only bone and marrow, but soul and spirit, revealing the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. Let us see ourselves. Let us hear your call. Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? Let it, let it be us. Let us rise with the mind of Christ. Let us have your heart. A heart that does not come to be served, but is willing to count that cost and to give our lives away. Have your way with us, Father. As we enter a new ministry year, as the opportunities before us are multitude, let us hear your call and answer it as you will. For these things we ask and pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand as we close and sing about this one who has loved his own. And he stands before the throne of God as our hope and strength. Thank you.
had a sense of identity and mission even as he says now is time for the son of man to be glorified and you can imagine glimpses the empty throne at the father's right hand the glory that was hidden before the foundations of the world he says that's the glory i live for he took off his outer garments and he got down on his knees now may god himself the god who is peace may he sanctify you through and through may your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless unto the coming of Christ. The God who calls you, He is a faithful God and He will do it. Trust in His love and His power. Go in His grace and His peace. Amen.